Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Rider's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Day on Chinchilla Squeaks, I am joined by Shahar from Ground Cover. How are you doing? Where are you joining me from, Shahar? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm um, actually joining you from hot yet beautiful Tel Aviv in Israel. Yep, I uh, I seem to be uh, interviewing quite a lot of people from, uh, from Tel Aviv this week. So <laughs> it means we can actually so you know interview at a good time of day for both of us, which is nice as well. So <laughs> exactly. And we're here to talk about uh, ground cover. What is yeah. ground cover? What what are you bringing to whatever space you're in? So ground cover is basically um, reinventing application performance monitoring for mm-hmm. Kubernetes environments. Um, the idea behind what we're doing at ground cover is trying to uh, redefine the way an APM or an application performance monitoring solution would actually operate and behave uh, in mm-hmm. the way that it works by being more scalable or more data efficient and kind of more fit to modern architectures like, you know, uh, microservices architectures today, which are really API driven and high throughput and stuff like that. And we put that together with, uh, you know, a, a, an already well-known technology, which is called eBPF, uh, which is really revolutionary in a way that eventually it allows us to access uh, really deep observability from infrastructure all the way to application with no R&D efforts in, like in between with no cone changes and nothing that uh, can eventually uh, cause a lot of friction during the integration. So 
putting those together is kind of what we're trying to do. And, and the vision behind what we're trying to do is make observability as effortless as possible for teams so they can enjoy it without working too hard for it and scalable. So as they grow and as their team grows and the company and their customer base grows, the observability stack grows proportionally with them and you know doesn't hold them back, basically. So there's two distinct parts I'd like to dig into there. When you let, let's keep aside EBPF for now. I have covered it before on the on the show, but we'll we'll do a quick recap of that in a minute. Let's have a look at the other yeah. side. Observability is a is a big space. EBPF is on one side. You have the old more I don't say old school traditional APM on another side, and you have a lot of things in the middle as well. So. How are you doing that part of things to begin with? So I think um, basically when we look at, you know, the pain points in kind of the world of application monitoring, I mean, application monitoring has been here for a while. I mean, everyone knows how to, you know, cite the three pillars and everybody, there's no disagreements about, you know, logs, metric traces being an important part of troubleshooting and performance monitoring, stuff like that. So we don't have, we don't have to educate uh, developers and us as developers, I mean, we know that for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is that these solutions have been here for practically almost a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the basic uh, solutions behind that. And they kind of drag on two problems into the, the space of application monitoring, which I think uh, are not addressed so far in a, in a proper way. One is complexity, uh, mm -hmm. which I think kind of relates to what you said about EBPF. Uh, most of application, deep application monitoring is based on SDKs. Uh, so, you know, in, you have to integrate an SDK into your code. When the, once the company is small and everything is homogeneous, it's all good. Uh, you can just run freely. But, uh, you know, we've, we've been meeting a lot of co companies and just recently we met a fintech company who has been integrating a solution like Datadog for over four months. Uh, and they're still like in the midst of this process. So I think it's not weird to hear teams talking about quarters anymore like integrating we're integrating q in q3 datadog into our stack because it's more than just you know uh, the complexity of integrating sdk once you have to change code you have to coordinate between a lot of different yeah. teams in a big company so that's like one part of the equation and i think uh, what happens there is that this complexity uh is just you know it translates into r&d effort but that's not the problem the problem is that complexity and integration causes poor coverage basically because if, if it's hard to integrate, uh, you're going to have to skip on some parts. For example, you're not going to touch that legacy code that you're, you don't want to, you know, don't want that anyway. But if, if it's complex to integrate an SDK there, no one's going to do it. So we see teams are, you know, left with a lot of blind spots in their production due to the complexity of this integration and a long time to value, basically, until they get the value. So this is like one part. It, it's it's kind of related to the EBPF and the ease of integration through something which is not an SDK through something that doesn't require any code changes. But I think uh, the other part is kind of more more what you were uh, looking for in, in that sense, and is the uh, the fact that these solutions don't scale well. Uh, I think part of the reason for that is that um, solutions like Datadog, New Relic, and you know these great platforms basically were built over a decade ago when. Um, the market was mostly based around monolith architectures, you know, uh, customer interactions was not, were not as high in throughput like today. And uh, they went for a centralized approach, which was really, um, uh, it made sense back then. I mean, send all the data back to Datadog or whatever, or the vendor of the observability you work with. Uh, they will crunch all the data there, create the insights and, you know, let you investigate and query data that you want. But the thing is that 
as architectures are becoming more and more API driven uh, and throughputs are rising and microservices become more and more fragmented into different business units, uh, eventually you, you just have to collect too much data to get this job yep. done. Um, and you know, any interaction for, from a customer can create 10x or 20x interaction inside your cluster just from you know, communicating between microservices and DBs and caches or whatever is happening there. So uh, it, it creates uh, also pricing models which are unpredictable, kind of scary. What's going to happen next month if the volume of my customers just suddenly peaks? Um, and we see a lot of companies uh, paying over way over $1 million per year for these solutions. Mm -hmm. And actually, the, the, the kind of standard in the industry is talking about 10 to 15% of cloud costs being uh, delivered to observability vendors, which I think we all agree is high and kind of exponentially yeah. grows with your stack, which is not, uh, not that great. Um, so this is the problem we're trying to address because uh, eventually cost causes it causes a t terrible trade-off where developers are put in a in a junction where they have to kind of reduce visibility to save costs or manage mm -hmm. budgets uh, responsibly uh, we see that all the time i've been there myself like firsthand you know you reduce the granularity of that matrix or that log level or you know you sample these traces more hardly because you say i can't expect or you know predict what's going to happen in my build next month so ground cover is, is heavily based on uh, a completely different architecture around how we sample data, how we transform raw data into actual insights on the fly without ever, you know, taking it out of the node or storing it anywhere. Um, so data is much more efficient, much more scalable. And basically, we also focus it to what we think you should matter, you should care about once you kind of troubleshoot mm -hmm. production. So the and then the, the tagline, the very big tagline on your website is mostly focusing on eBPF. I have covered it before. I spoke with um, Cilium, um, mm -hmm. but I don't assume everyone listens to or watches everything. So, so it's it's a very hot technology. Although again, based on not anything particularly new, but let's have a very brief summary from your perspective of what it is and why it's useful in this context. Yeah, so EPF is, I think, like all great technologies, uh, it's not new in any yeah. sense. Uh, you know, it takes time to build something great, I guess. Um, so EPF started from uh, BPF, from the Berkeley Packet Filter. Uh, it was introduced in 1993, so it's almost like 30 years ago. Uh, but I think it was the first major leap in, like, what you can, you can do inside the Linux kernel in the sense that people didn't expect before. Uh, when it introduced kind of, uh, you know, a programmable virtual machine basically inside the kernels that you can use to control and filter traffic. That was the purpose back then. I think it was kind of premature to what, uh, you know, the data volumes and kind of, kind of the architectures that were uh, used back then in a sense that it was still kind of uh, premature to the common uh, developer or tech team of what they can harness it back then. But uh, in 2014, uh, just at the year that Kubernetes was released, uh, funny enough, uh, eBPF was raised, which, which is the extension of BPF to actual tools that can allow you to deploy programs, like actual yeah. business logic uh, that you can run inside the kernel. And that was a major jump um, in like what you can do, like the versatility of stuff you can run inside the kernel. Uh, the last couple of years were a total explosion in that recent kernel version, which, which are highly adopted by Kubernetes uh, vendors like you know EKS and GKE and stuff like that. Yeah contain a lot more flexibility, a lot more features. So developers can actually write uh, code to the kernel that does a lot of interesting stuff. And for us, or from an observability perspective, it brings 
very two important things to the table. One is efficiency. You get access to kernel level resources so you can run you know, complex code uh, really efficiently and really safely. Uh, so you, when you're trying to monitor like, you know, high throughput protocols like say Redis or Kafka, stuff that ha can happen in really high throughputs, uh, that efficiency comes into play and mm. uh, you're not consuming part of the application's resources, but you're running inside the kernel in a much more efficient way. And the other and, great oh, advantage, sorry, yeah. I think, uh, is, uh, sorry, and the other no, great advantage, correct. I think, is, is that from the kernel, you can observe all of the user space, basically. So if you were a user space program, you wouldn't be able to kind of dig yeah. deep into other processes you're running next to. Uh, and that's why you had to integrate yourself into the code and do stuff that eventually kind of uh, puts the developer in the loop. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and is eBPF, without going into too much... Uh, trade secret is ebpf what kind of reduces the, the the cost and the overhead in your case uh so actually no i think that that's okay. part of uh the, the kind of uh, misconception about mm. what ebpf can do for observability i see we I, I think we see a lot of cool stuff and cool projects uh from all over uh the world around ebpf in observability uh, which is great. Uh, we totally believe in that. But EPF is just another way, another very strong, very powerful way uh, to get access to deep observability data uh, from infrastructure all the way to application. But it doesn't solve the problem that eventually you have to do something with all this data. I mean, uh, okay, it kind yeah, of even worsens the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, a, in a sense, it makes stuff worse because, uh, okay, more, now yeah. I have access to every, you know, every DNS request. What, what I'm going to do with that? Um, so I think it just, it just kind of highlights the, the issue that, uh, if you're going to collect, uh, new data with this like new powerful source, something else has to change in the way you kind of collect, store and uh, digest the data. It doesn't make sense anymore to send all that to someone who will store it for you and let it query you there, query there. And I think that's the reason that even big vendors like Datadog, which is clearly, you know, going into EBPF really strongly. We're not saying we own EBPF. EBPF is going to be a commodity in yep. a couple of years. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to help with get, help with get there. Um, but that's the reason why they won't be able to pull uh, something completely different off with EBPF because uh, eventually it's just more data flowing into your observability stack and, mm. you know, someone has to handle it. Yep. Okay, on that, I think you have a little demo. So I'll bring in the screen for you. And I will That's attempt great. to describe anything that isn't immediately obvious for uh, audio listeners. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll, what are I'll we I'll try to be as descriptive first? as I can. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, uh, we're currently looking at uh, the ground cover SAS experience, the, our UI. Um, uh, before just talking about that for a second, just talking about the installation, clearly the installation is where UBF is kind of the, the strongest play in what we can do here. The installation is a simple Helm chart. Basically, we deploy a daemon set that uh, mm -hmm. kind of uh, runs the UBF program on each of the nodes inside the cluster. Uh, and on the other hand, in our own separate code with our own separate like transparent resources, uh, we actually run this aggregation that I was talking about, eventually taking all the data, you know, surfacing from UBF aggregated it, turning it to metrics, and, you know, uh, eventually serving it as an, as an APM-grade kind of value. Mm -hmm. um, so what you see here is, is 
kind of the first uh, prism into the data that we collect. Uh, this is uh, uh, like one cluster we're currently installed on. on the, this demo cluster, we can be installed on multiple clusters and eventually aggregate all the data into one place. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is an auto discovery of all the services or workloads that are currently running inside the cluster. Um, we actually, uh, you know, detect how they operate it at runtime and not just, you know, using Kubernetes API. So we can tell you who's healthy and who's not right now. So what, what is, what you're currently seeing, uh, in this kind of, uh, you know, weather, uh, oh, okay. sunny and, you know, <laughs> rainy, um, <laughs> uh, visuals is that some of them are currently unhealthy. And for example, this front end, uh, the tile you see here of the front end, this is the actual workload. It can be represented by say 15 codes on three different nodes. Yeah. This logical unit is currently experiencing three different issues. And these are not Kubernetes health checks or something like that. This is out of the box issues that ground cover catches on the fly while detecting, for example, that this uh, specific uh, workload is communicating over gRPC and HTTP. Yeah. So this could um, be not even so a Kubernetes issue. It could be a... Uh, I don't know, an error coming from the application code yeah. like that as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and clearly all, 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 all the things that we do are completely Kubernetes native, so you can filter by namespaces and, you know, try to look at uh, different stuff like uh, workloads and protocols. We cover a lot of different protocols from gRPC to HTTP to Kafka to DNS to Redis, uh, even stuff in the TCP layer that can be uh, interesting for an infrastructure mm -hmm. team. Um, and we also can create interesting things like that, which eventually kind of uh, merge together our distributed collection, which, uh, you know, data can be collected distributedly from very different nodes and eventually putting all this together using the Kubernetes metadata into something which is like this logical flow map that you just saw, see here. This is an actual uh, current runtime dependency map between the different services. And you can see, you know, uh, different error rates happening on some of the edges, yeah. which can be HTTP, gRPC, or anything else that we eventually detect. This is a little uh, so bit of an really upgrade to that usual topology kind of overview, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the cool part here is also that, uh, I mean, we only need to see one side of the conversation in a sense. So even if we're talking about cross-cluster communication or managed services, you know, like managed Redis or RDS or anything outside of the cluster, which is totally common, we're going to see that interaction. We're going to monitor that error rate. We're going to monitor that latency because we catch it from the client side. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the granularity there is going to be from your Kubernetes perspective, you're going to know who's the client behind that, who's the entity behind that. So things are much more you know, logical to the stack of your Kubernetes and not some IP you know, flowing around communicating with the RDS, which are not sure who it is. Mm -hmm. um, so this is one cool like part of, of what we can do. Uh, the other part that the ground cover is trying to bring to the table is kind of an um, uh, inbox approach into troubleshooting, if you if you want. I mean, uh, trying to put all the issues that we out of the box detect in the cluster mm -hmm. in one place from very different uh, domains. So this is just our demo. So you can see problems in gRPC, HTTP, Redis, Postgres happening currently in the cluster. Uh, we also detect Kubernetes events. So there could be a container restart, you know, happening from... Uh, any different container in the cluster that we will indicate and uh, help you troubleshoot or an out of memory crash or anything like that. Um, and each of these issues eventually are aggregated, I mean, by our aggregation yeah. mechanism. So this, for example, is uh, an HTTP request that uh, gets 500 uh, failure uh, status code from front end inside a cluster, which is the HTTP server here. But this happened like 38 times in the last 15 mm -hmm. minutes. Clearly, we're going to try and aggregate it yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, and once you dig in, let's say, just look at G this gRPC error, 
once you do dig in, what we do is we capture spans on the fly. So we create two different kind of uh, inputs, which are really APM uh, grade value in that sense. One is the golden matrix of, you know, requests per seconds, error rates, and their distribution by status codes, and the latency of, say, P50 and P95 on that specific resource, that's that specific API. Uh, and we also capture different spans so you can investigate, like, good examples. So this is, uh, uh, you know, an example of the good payload uh, traveling between the client and the server, uh, which this request eventually ended up with, a, you know, uh, a correct response. But you can also take it to investigate, uh, you know, the bad response, which eventually gRPC, the gRPC stack reported an unknown error. So you can yeah. see, okay, what what in that payload eventually triggered that request, and that's that's part of the really interesting part that GrandCover does. We don't capture all the spans inside the system. We sample high latency spans, erroneous spans, things that are interesting, while also capturing some of the common spans, so you can kind of investigate and compare. Uh, that's okay. why the data efficiency stays so high. How do you how do you filter out what may not be useful? I mean, when you say common and erroneous, that kind of sounds to me like all of them. <laughs> but so yeah. we we separate it into two uh, different parts. We have uh, we manage budgets for sampling, which are uh, managed by each edge component, each agent okay. running in each node. Uh, we sample all the failures in, until some kind of budget that we determine. And we sample, we learn the distributions of latency, payload sizes, status code distribution, stuff like that inside the actual edge model. Uh, and so we can sample from different parts of the distribution. So say in latency, we will also sample, we will always sample, say, P95 or really fast requests, sample from the edges of the distribution, like uh, with intent, because we learn the distribution on the fly inside the edge component. Mm-hmm. Um, and from general like population of requests, we will sample randomly with a specific separate budget. So you can also see random stuff that we might have missed from, you know, our narrow perspective on the sampling mechanism that we run. Uh, the result is that you can sample a really, really high uh, throughput API and eventually be positive that you're going to get the one out of a million requests that failed, even if it's that rare, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of a major leap if, uh, in, in the way sampling is currently operating in in APM solutions, and that's why uh, you're sometimes missing out on what you care about, and mostly collecting 99% of you know irrelevant data that you have to pay. Yeah, for. okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do the same thing for logs also, which is kind of cool. Uh, we collect 10 seconds worth of logs. We actually uh, keep the logs inside uh, a ring buffer inside uh, the, each edge component that uh, is running in each node. Uh, and once an event happens, we dump those 10 seconds worth of logs into storage. Uh, so you get kind of the, our kind of indexing on your logs in a sense, um, by us telling you these are probably the logs you're going to, you're going to want to query. So we keep them really efficiency and really accessible. Uh, we're not saying logs are not important, like all over the system, but it's kind of a smart indexing into the seconds before and after an event. Yeah. Uh, from the relevant codes that you know took place in the specific uh, incident. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is one take, and like the, the the final take of what we're doing is uh, performance um, monitoring, like hardcore performance monitoring. Eventually, you want to see all the resources inside the cluster, so you can figure out which one is a bottleneck, which one is causing you trouble. So we we present the different protocols inside the system. We do it even for Kafka. Redis, Postgres, 
So you can even go say to Postgres and see all the queries running from all the clients inside your service, inside your cluster into external RDS services. And you can see who is which client inside your cluster from a Kubernetes entity perspective is using RDS the most, uh, mm -hmm. causing that much error, is experiencing say uh, a peak in latency for some reason. And then you can investigate actual the specific queries that you know got, got him there. Um, so it's really interesting to see it from perspectives of protocols like say Redis, where you can see yeah. all Redis commands and, and their kind of golden signals. And, very common in in things like uh, gRPC and HTTP, where you actually you know get a lot of different examples of APIs running through your system. You can figure out who's communicating to who and and at what you know metrics uh, that are relevant for performance. And do you, is what you support here limited to certain uh, resources at the moment, or is it just happens to be these are the examples in the example application you have here? So it's it's. It's completely not limited in a sense that we're almost uh, entirely language agnostic. What we do support are specific protocols. So, for yeah. example, we're not supporting RabbitMQ yet. Okay. Uh, this is on our roadmap, but we do support Kafka, Redis, gRPC, HTTP, a lot of different, you know, very common protocols yeah. uh, that are run in most production environments. So our coverage slowly grows into newer protocols, but from a coverage perspective, um, in, in most cases, we don't care if it's, you know, Python running on top, Java running on top, if it's SSL encrypted or not, uh, we, we know how to bypass and support all the different mechanisms around these APIs and, you know, DB queries and stuff like that. Uh, again, assuming that this is a protocol that we, uh, we support. Yep. yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, anything else you want to show here or shall I drop it out? Uh, yeah, just one, one uh, um, like final thought on that, which I think is interesting for a lot of users out there. I mean, uh, clearly Grafana Prometheus stack is yeah. really, uh, you know, common and widespread stack uh, in observability. And uh, a lot of users use it for infrastructure monitoring and, you know, different stuff like that. And also monitoring, um, uh, you know, um, high uh, throughput or DB related services, like, you know, monitoring their Redis or Kafka broker performances and stuff like that. So we see it happening with other teams. What's cool with ground cover is that uh, the data is accessible as a Prometheus data source. All the metrics that okay. you see here are accessible as a Prometheus data source. So, so exported, uh, we exported, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can actually add us as a data source, as yep. a Prometheus data source. We're not actually running Prometheus because it wouldn't kind yeah, of no, for uh, sure. it's a uh, remote uh, hold a granularity. read or whatever they call it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you can just, you know, build uh, uh, dashboards from a lot of matrix that we create, create out of the box. Uh, we work with customers to create uh, these dashboards, all documented, so people can also create their own. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of open up, opens up new use cases into, you know, using the data that your observability stack is collecting and not just, you know, sticking to our UI, which we think is great, yeah. but you probably have your own thoughts on, on how to, Actually, you know, I, I, troubleshoot I, with your it. Your UI is, is, is interesting. I, I like you're kind of going for this slightly more... Um, Light-hearted uh, look and feel to a lot of observability platforms. And I, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. honestly know how some people will feel about that. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it does certainly. Uh, look we know how we feel about it. I mean, uh, there's some, sometimes you get lost inside these, you know, huge dark blue platforms yeah. with all these million tabs. Uh, there's also uh, like uh, something we're trying to say there from a sta uh, product statement, yeah. but you know, that's us and that's what we believe in. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's just uh, go through a couple of more general questions to wrap up. Um, I get the impression the, the company is 
relatively new. So what was the story there? Why did you decide to start? Who decided to start? And what what problem were you facing that made you want to start a, start the company? Um, so just to touch on our backgrounds, we're two co-founders. Uh, okay. uh, we're good friends for over 10 years. Uh, both of us kind of uh, went through similar uh, professional paths in our lives. So we've been uh, engineers uh, for over 15 years, each of us. And like most of this professional time were been, was around like R&D leadership positions uh, in different domains. I'm specifically, I've specifically spent a lot of years in cybersecurity, like mm-hmm. a lot of people from, you know, the Tel Aviv area you're talking yep. to. Um, <laughs> and, my, <laughs> and my last few years were around uh, applied machine learning, most recently okay. at Apple for a few years. Um, and for, through all these kind of periods, we were, both of us were on the user side of platforms like Datadog, New Relic, mm-hmm. you know, Grafana Prometheus and stuff like that. So, um, monitor was always something critical from our day to day and the way that we eventually, you know, managed our teams and our, our projects. So we always had, have been using these kind of platforms. So we knew where they work great and what's, what are kind of their drawbacks and problems. And a couple, about a couple of years ago, uh, we knew that all, we already had kind of vis- had a vision about how to collect data differently for production, uh, troubleshooting, and monitoring, and what we want to do different there, and make those solutions more scalable and more fit to the modern world. Uh, and it all kind of clicked about a year ago uh, when I mean we come from kind of the cyber way of thinking, so it's always been our interest to you know engage with low level technologies and figure out how operating system works and you know. Uh, technological frameworks operate and stuff like that. And we got familiarized with EVPF at some point where it was relatively new. Uh, right now, it feels like it's it's a hot discussion, which is really cool. Um, and that's where things kind of click, the vision of, you know, trying to do differently, diff- stuff differently in the APM domain and this revolutionary technology that can make a lot of this happen from, uh, you know, a friction kind of uh, uh, uh way for the R&D team, that's kind of where things clicked for us. And we knew that, uh, you know, we have, we had to build it in, into an integrated solution that would take both, uh, both of these uh, different ideas into one. Uh, and that's kind of where ground cover is positioned today in the world, trying to take these two approaches and kind of merge them into a solution that will create a different uh, experience into application monitoring. And so the EBPF aspect, like uh, you mentioned, um, uh, actually, I can't remember who you mentioned out of the main players now, but I know, um, for example, uh, New Relic took bought out Pixie, who have also actually been on the, the mm-hmm. show before they were acquired. Um, and I think you also mentioned uh, Datadog, did you, is now offering EBPF or did yeah. I hear you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of these larger vendors are starting to offer this now. So, Mm-hmm. What do you think your point of difference is and is going to be to to be noticed amongst those fairly well established players? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, regarding Pixie, I think they're they're a great team. They're pioneers in the field of EVPF. Uh, we've met them also in, here in Israel and also uh, their offices, uh, and truly appreciate and love what they're doing. We actually work together. Uh, we will contribute code back to Pixie because we really believe in the community uh, motion that they're creating. Uh, but I think, uh, and I think uh, Pixie would also acknowledge that, that uh, there's a lot of difference and it kind of relates to Datadog also in that sense. There's a lot of difference in what we're trying to build, uh, like say the difference between ground cover and Pixie. 
Uh, Pixie did a great job at showing what a great data source eBPF can be. I mean, exposing things that were before unheard of, you know, from an application layer of, you know, what eBPF can put on the table. Uh, but as I said before, and I think Datadog is heading kind of in the same uh, path, uh, they just made more data accessible, which is amazing. Uh, and they showed, uh, you know, they kind of made the, the proof of concept of EPF providing this data without, you know, you ever touching the code. But then we kind of feel it's back to square one of, you know, what do I do with all this data? Who's going to handle it? Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to store it? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you still need uh, someone to do the aggregation for you and kind of focus you on that, on what matters. So I think that's kind of the difference uh, in the approach, uh, even between us and Pixie, even though clearly from an EPF perspective, uh, we totally believe in what they do. Uh, and, and as I said before, I think Datadog, uh, New Relic with Pixie and other vendors, eventually EPF will hopefully be a commodity. I mean, mm. clearly it's, it's, it's currently very far from the average developer and we're trying to make it accessible, yeah. but, uh, you know, holding it back from the community is not, go- is not what's going to make, uh, uh, you know, a dent in the APM world. We believe it's mostly the other part of combining it with a completely yeah. different approach yeah. into how you aggregate yeah. data. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned a couple of small things along the way, but what's um, what's on the roadmap for the next six months? Yeah. So ground cover is actually um, um, launching really soon. I mean, we just uh, closed oh, okay. another uh, funding <laughs> round, so we're going to be announcing it soon. Um, and basically we're already open, uh, to the world with a free tier that we really believe in. Uh, it's completely self-served so everybody can, you know, try it out, go to groundcover.com and install. And we totally want this, this feedback from developers, from teams, you know, actually working in real Kubernetes environments. Um, and we have great plans to expand the product, to create a truly Kubernetes native APM that, uh, can kind of bounce between the infrastructure that you care about and actual APM value that, uh, that, that as you see in the demo, uh, a lot of roadmap into expanding into new protocols and you know different uh, stuff that we hear from customers all the time mm-hmm. and growing the team since uh, we're currently uh, uh, in, in high growth here. Uh, that's basically our, you know, on, on our agenda. <laughs> Everything then is on the agenda. <laughs> yeah, rule the world. <laughs> cool, um, Shahar. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Caesar's Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesar's rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself, What would kids do? Then pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.